So welcome to everybody, it is our podcast for the 9th of October 2021. So against the background of uh, the headlines in the newspapers, US warns Putin over Eurogas and uh, the eco-warriors are still flaunting and flouting the law in the UK causing mayhem and all you, everywhere you look you have gloom and doom we're bringing you the things that you might not be uh, sort of highlighting in your um, media wherever you might be and of course normally we would like to have both Neil and Terry and other with us here in the studio needs must as things have changed and we work of course with the technology so first of all I spoke with Terry Whitehead earlier in the week and I asked Terry his views regarding the French fishermen and the threat to blockade uh, they talking about all sorts blockading the channel tunnel um, blockading the channel islands blockading anywhere uh, let's see what terry thought <laughs> well what's new about the about the french causing blockades i remember the, the, the years ago when they used uh, lorry drivers coming from spain spanish lorry drivers no sooner they'd left they'd gone through the border from spain to france they're they're lorries were being turned over because they were carrying tomatoes and uh, the drivers were being beaten up the produce had been smashed and burnt all under the presence of the gendarmerie of France the police were there watching it going on didn't lift a finger to stop it so why would I think anyone's going to stop the, the French causing the blockade what's more worrying is they're talking about cutting off uh, electricity to Jersey because Jersey's uh, completely uh, dependent on the electricity from France uh, they had a blockade there a few months back over the fishing in Jersey, where they blockaded the port of Jersey, and then uh, a British destroyer came along, and they soon the French tails went up and went uh, and ran off like they normally do. Um, so yeah, it's, it's rearing its head again. But it's ever since uh, the, the France had their nose pushed out of joint regarding the submarine sales to Australia, where they lost a 69 billion dollar contract or something. Well, of course. Um, also worrying is the fact that um, Putin is sort of, <laughs> I'll put a little phrase in, Putin put the boot in. Because basically, uh, you know, he's sort of, it, it's a veiled threat that Britain won't get any um, gas and oil, etc., etc., if they don't sort of um, do certain things. Um, I don't know if you've seen the headlines in the British papers. It's the soft weapon that he's got. Uh, so Britain needs to be, and it's not just Britain, it's Europe, uh, Germany, Poland, uh, heavily reliant on, on Russian gas. Um, but Britain and Europe especially need, need to get their act together and start being independent of, uh, of the Russian supplies. But until they are independent of the Russian supplies, you can't just dig a hole and stick a pipe in it and get gas out. Um, he's going he's gonna to milk it for what he can get. Like, you can't blame him in many respects because once um, Europe and Britain are independent of Russian gas, then there's not a lot, lot you can sell him. He's not going to sell him any oil, is he? Because that's going down the tubes. So unless he's got a secret lithium battery mine somewhere, uh, he won't be selling a lot to the, to the UK and the Europe at all. So he's, he's, he's rattling his sabres in, in, uh, in Russia regarding the gas. Uh, Macron in France is up for election, I think, next April. He's doing everything he can to keep his name in the papers for good reasons, not the usual bad ones. So, yeah, he's rattling his sabre as well with his uh, uh, French patriotism regarding the the, uh, the fishing fishing wars, which will probably will happen. Um, there'll be a bit of a few skirmishes out to sea and somebody will get their boat something like that. And, uh, more tears, but that's, that's France for you. Well, I mean, the, the whole testing time at the moment is... It's 
very worrying if uh, a lot of people turn the TV off because they don't like to see these things. But, I mean, China is sort of massing its air force, almost ready to invade Taiwan. Uh, Russia has just launched a 7,000-mile rocket, um, 7,000 miles an hour, I think it was, or something r ridiculously powerful. Um, and it's almost like you don't hear some of these things on mainstream television. Um, I think that's the worry, that you know people are either just putting their heads under the blankets and pretending nothing's happening, or um, you know pre preferring just to switch everything off and cross your fingers behind your back. Well, Robert Maxwell, the uh, disgraced uh, publisher, uh, had the, uh, the Daily Mirror, if you remember, and uh, bankrupted the, the pension pot in the Daily Mirror, ran off with the money and, yeah. and disappeared after he fell off the back of his boat somewhere outside the Canaries. Um, you know, There's a lot of rumour there, did he fall or was he pushed? Um, but he, he, he learned very quickly that uh, the pen is mightier than the sword. He, he tried, to, or he did get, become a, an MP. Um, for both parties. He tried with the Tories, then he went to the Labour Party. Uh, but he wanted to get in the Cabinet, they wouldn't have him, so we decided, wait a minute, I know where the power is, it's in the press. So he got himself a newspaper, he bought the Daily Mirror. Because mm. um, that's what controls people's minds, the press and the media, the BBC, the, the general um, the press. Not so much the press nowadays, because people aren't buying papers off the paper shop anymore so much, are they? People are reading things online, maybe, but they're using their television reports uh, more so than reading the newspaper but they still uh, still um, bend people's minds obviously the front what's on the front page will will twist your mind so they control you so what you don't know is down to them yeah they will only show you what's in their interest and it's all down to the the owners and the chairman of the various publications as to which way their their interests lay and if you look across the front pages of british newspapers you'll see a complete array of, uh, of front pages on any given day depending on which way their political wind blows. So it's, it's a shame because it's hard to find true news nowadays. It's very difficult to go behind the scenes and try and find some true news. And then, is it true? You don't know if it's true or not. You find news, but you don't know if it's true. It's strange times that we're living. Terry, you really are um, telling me about something that we have found great difficulty in discussing new things because obviously uh, the papers are cascading the same stuff everywhere. Um, there is yeah. one thing, uh, or there are a couple of things that have found for us from the Spanish press, etc. The Pandora Papers, for example, uh, the name given to a journalistic investigation based on a major leak of confidential documents from 14 offshore service providers dedicated to the creation of companies in countries such as Panama, the British Virgin Isles and the Bahamas. In Spain, El Pais and television network La Sexta are the partners on this project, which has seen the collaboration of more than 600 journalists from 117 countries under the coordination of the International Consortium of Investigative Journalists. Other media outlets who have taken part in the project, considered to be the biggest journalistic collaboration in history, include Le Monde in France, The Guardian, obviously, in the UK, The Washington Post, United States, L'Expresso in Italy and La Nación in Argentina. Over the course of nearly two years, more than 11.9 million files have been analysed, including text documents, spreadsheets, emails and images. There are certificates of incorporation, lists of shareholders, invoices, passports, travel records. Together, they constitute an unprecedented snapshot of the hidden side of international finance, and shed light on the secrets of uh, tax havens and the professionals who act as a bridge to reach these jurisdictions. The leak points to more than 27,000 companies created between 1971 and 2018, and nearly 30,000 of their beneficiaries. Among them are 751 companies linked to Spain. So the first question I've got to ask you, Terry, have you got anything you need to worry about? Not at all. I've never had enough money to worry about that. Yeah, I wish I did. I wish I did. Have. Having said that, um, they're not really. No one's really broken the law in this case. It's offshore money. It's a case of whether it's declared. Uh, you can have your money offshore, but are they declaring it? Yeah, uh, it's offshore. It means you won't be paying taxes where it is. 
but should they be declaring it in their country of uh, tax residence and therefore pay tax on it? Didn't seem to worry Tony Blair, the uh, the darling of the Labour Party, who, who went to great lengths to criticise the, the people with bank accounts offshore and then proved uh, to go and buy a six and a half million pound residence in central London and didn't pay any duty on it because he bought it with an offshore company. So... Uh, can't beat politics, can you, Vince? <laughs> but isn't this the problem, Terry? Because, you know, I've never wanted to sort of go and uh, do the dirty on people or anything like that. I just basically like things to be above board. And I think the the one thing that most of us feel, by all means, every now and again, you'd like maybe a bit of the action. But that's not the big thing, because if you've been able to to, to earn a living and put money to one side and buy a house and remain relatively healthy, then you've not had a bad life. But it's when people who have had a lot don't ever seem to be satisfied. I think that's what really gets a lot of us quite cross, doesn't it? It is. When you get, you know, uh, a new evangelist in Britain, um, Lewis Hamilton, uh, who puts himself (laughs) up as as some sort of evangelist, but he he bought uh, his own, obviously you get your own plane, don't you, first thing you do, Vince, like you did. Yeah. But he had it delivered to the Isle of Man so he could buy it that free, so save 21% on it. So, so much about putting the, mo- putting the money through the, the country of his birth and uh, so that uh, the country can benefit from his taxes. Well, apart from the fact he's a resident of Monaco, I believe now, uh, another offshore resident. Um, but they, they, it but annoys me is these people go around uh, Black Lives Matter, uh, harping about this, harping about that, trying to set up different things. He's got himself knighted. What the hell has he got himself knighted for? He drives a car for a living, so do I. But he's, 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 his money's offshore. Where his money's not? His money's not um, benefiting the country. Britain's not gaining, for, gaining tax pounds from it. Uh, I just find it all very unsavoury, very unsavoury indeed. Yeah, I, I feel the same. Um, reading on from what I was looking at, In Spain, a year after the publication of this information, the country's anti-money laundering supervisory authority, which just happened to be called SEP Black here, was able to access the information from 209 Panamanian companies that had previously been under lock and key, including those that allowed for the diversion of funds in the so-called defects case when the Spanish state-owned firm was hauled up over bribes for arms contracts. The Spanish tax agency was able to recover at least 140 million uh, euros after auditing 244 taxpayers and on a global scale of a, a, at least 1.2 billion in taxes was recovered. Um, this is after the automatic sharing of banking and tax data between countries, which of course is an instrument now that allows tax inspectors to enjoy better access to documents that previously could have taken years to get hold of. I mean, it's almost like there is some sort of a disease. We're very rich, we're stinking rich, but we're never going to be happy. So we'll just keep on trying to hide bits here, hide bits there. As you say, um, I think most of us, if we know that the taxes are paid in the country to where it was being secretly put, I think we wouldn't be quite so cheesed off about it. But I mean, you know, when everybody at the moment is just finding it difficult to pay their bills, then it makes it all the more galling, doesn't it? Obviously, when you get the likes of Lionel Messi, I don't know how many... What should we guess he's on? Some sort of half a million pound a week or something like half a million euros a week, maybe. Certainly about 350,000 euros a week, I would say. Uh, he got caught out tax dodging. He went to court in Spain and they gave him a two year prison sentence, which in Spain, anything that two years and below is suspended. Uh, Jose Marino, a famous football manager, he got done for the same for dodging taxing in Spain. He went to court in Madrid. He got a two-year suspended sentence. So either of those two guys, who now aren't residents in Spain, by the way, um, cross, uh, break a few rules, they, they're looking at a two-year prison sentence straight away for whatever they do. You know, if you get, if you get a, a serious driving offence, you're going to go straight to jail. Um, but, but the point being, Vince, as you quite rightly say, what, what amount of greed is it when you're on that astronomical... I mean, literally, my telephone number is, is, is their amount of, of, of money they, they earn every year. Yeah. It, it, and what amount of money drives them to that? I'll have it offshore and save the tax on it. What the hell? 
Yeah, it, it, that is unbelievable. That is absolutely disgusting. We're, and when that comes out, uh, I think these people should be ostracised and banned. Talk about the Me Too movement, which bans and obliterates guys for, for obviously doing dubious things. These people should be done on, on, on a likewise manner. Uh, I, hate, I, I love the likes of Lionel Messi and what he's done for football, and I really admire Jose Marino. But I've got to make a statement in as much as if they're dodging that much tax on the billions of dollars they've probably amassed over the years and still amassing. What the hell is that telling people? Yeah. How is that? It's just taking money out of that should be circulated within, the, within their country of tax residence. That tax should be circulating and giving the benefit back to yeah. the people that are paying their wages. Totally agree it's with you. Okay. Outrageous. Terry, um, we're looking next at British nationals and they'll no longer be permitted to drive outside the country in vehicles bearing the over-a-century-old GB sticker, uh, which, of course, is going to re be replaced with the post-Brexit UK sticker. Um, and it was valid in the past for drivers in England, Scotland, Ireland and Wales, widely used by Brits, of course, travelling to outside the country and served as an identity token. So, uh, with this decision taking effect on September the 28th, it must now be replaced with one that says UK. In fact, I don't know why they don't put Y in front of it and just yuck. Um, yeah. You know, obviously we know it's the, sh the Schengen, etc., uh, etc., et and people can get um, more um, info, info from schengenvisainfo.com. But... Um, the change occurred nine months after Brexit's first anniversary, which was completed in January 2021. And following the event, the EU flag was removed from the vehicle license plates and the GB sticker was no longer required to be displayed when entering most EU countries. Do you really think this is anything more than um, just a bit of admin? You bang on. What the hell difference is it? Number one, Britain, UK, Great Britain, British Isles, whatever you want to call it, have never been part of the Schengen Agreement. Never. So that's a load of rot for a start-off. The fact that they're now separate to the EU, what difference does it make? And I'm struggling to find the difference between Great Britain. Well, Great Britain is actually the island of Great Britain. Gee, and that's, that's unusual because it, that doesn't include Northern Ireland. So the, normally it says Great Britain and Northern Ireland. But uh, at the Olympics, people are running around with GB on their on their shirts. Uh, but that also includes Northern Ireland, doesn't it? But uh, it's, but then we've got an English football team, Scottish, Welsh, and a Northern Irish football team. You've got a rugby team that, that plays as as as, <laughs> as a country as 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 a, a good GB team. Uh, a cricket team, <laughs> it's, it's it's Middlesex. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's absolutely out. I don't know. Oh, I can't work it out. I don't know what. I don't know what country I'm living in anymore. I can't know what country I'm living in. I don't know what country I was born in. Birmingham, yeah. as I know. I think we should have a. We should raise a flag in Birmingham and make it a national part of the country. I think they should make uh, it a Turban District Council. Um, Valencia's <laughs> general director of commerce apparently has fined Amazon Spain, the international. Uh, online retailer for major violations of fair commercial practices and false advertising during the Black Friday and Cyber Monday sales campaigns. The infringement, according to the resolution with which this department concluded the case after Amazon Spain agreed to pay, consisted of boosting the prices immediately before the sales so the discounts offered appeared higher. The investigation was launched by the Alicante Territorial Service of Commerce at the end of October last year, a month before the sales campaigns, and concluded with the imposition of two fines totalling €22,000. Suspecting that Amazon Spain increases prices every year before Black Friday and Cyber Monday, the inspectors from the department began monitoring the prices in October because it's hard to examine all of the prices on Amazon Spain. They concentrated on two products that are known to sell well during this period of time. Television sets, larger than 50 inches, and coffee makers. Even then, there were still hundreds of products to keep track of. So, um, <laughs> surprise, surprise. I always thought all businesses tended to do this. Would I be right? 
Well, if you're watching UK telly, the DFS sale with their coaches and carpets has been going on for 40 years, to my knowledge. It always ends this Sunday. <laughs> it's never ending. It's absolutely never ending. Um, yeah, putting price up to knock them down. It, it's, it, you can't. I know you can't do that in the UK. I'm surprised. Well, obviously you can't do that in Spain. So how they thought they can get away? Because they thought they can get away with their Amazon. But they rule the world. Yeah. But the, the world cannot do without Amazon. The world will fight. They'll, they'll fight for Amazon rather than their own country. Yeah. Um, yeah. They would. I mean, given the choice, which you can fight for, Amazon or your own country? Oh, Amazon. Can't do without Amazon. I'd have to go shopping. Let's get the car yeah. thing. Terry, there's a day that they have up in Valencia, which I'd never heard of. I just wonder whether you'd heard of this. And it was between, um, well, sorry, it was a week, between September the 18th to the 25th. So it's just passed. And uh, it's called European Mobility Week. And Valencia celebrated that week uh, with a one-of-a-kind campaign aimed at increasing awareness among residents about the detrimental implications of excessive car use in the community. The city was striving to highlight the benefits of adopting more sustainable means of travel, such as public transportation, cycling and walking through a variety of programmes. As a result, several activities were conducted in various parts of Valencia to encourage the most environmentally friendly modes of transportation and to raise public awareness of the pollution problem. And so uh, they set up a children's play area with a puppet theatre, inflatable bus as part of the celebration on the Plaza de la Empresa Municipal de Transportes, where the mobility fair was hosted. The car free day on September the 22nd uh, was the highlight of the European Mobility Week. And Valencia was uh, once again giving free rides on its transit network to highlight the importance of public transport for a substantial and sustainable lifestyle. Uh, now, that was the first I'd heard about that. And I wondered, oh, is it something that you'd got um, wind of? No, first I've heard about it. Well, I get peed off because uh, I've just gone caught now through Teolada. And Taylor is a small town, but it's got quite a long dual carriageway with two lanes on each side, which is wonderful because it gets the traffic from one end of the town to the other very quickly, or it would do. But everybody seems to double park because it's all the parking places are gone. So they double park, even though there's probably a parking space 20 metres further up. They park outside the shop they want to go to, which completely blocks one lane. So your two lane dual carriageway becomes a one lane dual carriageway, which defeats the object and snarls up all the traffic. And, no, and, and so, for you to tell me that Valencia has a, a car-free day, and uh, you're joking, aren't you? But this is the most car-orientated country in the world, I think. And uh, don't get me on, don't get me on to cyclists. Okay. All right, then we'll look at our last story, and then um, this one is a, a question of I, I don't read Spanish news today was a website I just passed by. How do you make ten thousand euros in one weekend without robbing a bank? Um, the answer, Ooh. just break into an empty home in Spain. This is the advice of one self-professed career criminal who has come forward to explain how he takes advantage of squatters' rights in Spain to blackmail, blackmail homeowners. The man who has mm. spoken out on condition of anonymity used to deal cocaine and rob banks, but now found that extortion is safe, safer and more lucrative. So how does it work? The con works when a criminal gang breaks into an expensive apartment owned by a bank or investment firm. I break in on a Friday. The following Monday, I call the bank and say, hey, I'm in your flat and I'm going to destroy it. I can send you pictures if you like. And the people from the bank say, whoa, we're sending someone to see you. And then that person comes and negotiates the price. He waits 48 hours before contacting the owners because that's the time limit for when squatters' rights kicks in. And doing this every weekend, the gang can break into around 50 properties a year and earn around 10,000 or 12,000 euros each time. I can't believe some of the things that we read today, um, but what do you think of that one? Oh, I'm speechless for once. I mean, I've told you before on, on, on the show that uh, in Portugal, it was a coastal town on the north of Spain. Yeah. There's a little old dear who had been away to see a family for a few weeks came back to a home in, in Porto Galetti to find me taken over by uh, squatters. 
Um, but within within a few hours, uh, all her neighbours ganged up, and dragged the squatters out onto the street, gave them a bit of a kick in, and reinstated the lady in her house, and that was the end of it. Uh, that seems to work. So uh, I'm surprised they're actually getting away with that. But of course, the only people that are hurting is the bank. Yeah. But then the bank never hurt because they'll always pass in, in their bank charges to you and me. A bit like insurance companies, they never lose out. They'll pay out, but they'll get it off you. Up goes your premium by 10% the following year. So um, yeah, very clever what they're doing. It is, it's blackmail. So I'm surprised he's actually crowing about it because he'll get stuck in the slammer, hopefully. Uh, but unfortunately, if you're doing that, it's going to put a lot of ideas in people's heads. Uh, it's worrying time, especially when we spent like 18 months uh, with the general lockdown in, in Europe and people haven't been able to come out to their properties in, in Spain. I've heard quite a few cases where they've come out and there's squatters have taken over their um, their properties. But it's a lot quicker now than it used to be, a lot quicker. Um, it used to take years to get people out. Uh, and I've been involved in quite a few um rehabilitating houses where squatters have been, where they've cut all the sockets out of the walls, for instance. I mean, the socket's probably worth about five euros. But having cut the socket out of the wall, cut the cables, the cables within that wall are now too short. So you have to rewire the whole property because they took out a five-euro socket. Uh, that's the sort of thing they do. Take the doors out and sell them. Take all the sanitary wear out. But what they can't take out, they smash. Uh, I've, I've been called to many places like that and, and all sorts of excrement all over the floor. Um, uh, awful. I've seen some shocking things in my time. Yeah. Uh, but I'm just hopeful the police here are quite tough. Um, I'm just hopeful they're tough in the right ways and they're tough on these people. And, right. um, and, and the, the courts themselves have really got to come down, these people. Really got to. It's just, they're, they're just making a mockery of the law and fools of us. So hopefully in Spain or in every other country, for that matter, they'll come down on them. Terry, um, thank you very much indeed once again for giving me your time. You're listening to Europe Calling, coming to you from downtown Benidorm on the Costa Blanca in sunny Spain. Europe Calling, finding the news you might have missed. Well then, my thanks to Terry Whitehead and uh, let's get across now to uh, Neil Colborn and let's also have a quick look at what he thinks of Putin and the uh, threats to the gas and the oil supplies. And I'm reading Jake Sullivan, US National Security Advisor, has warned Russia not to use Europe's gas crisis as a political weapon after Vladimir Putin was accused of choking supplies to gain leverage in talks over a major new supply pipeline. Alexander Novak, Russia's energy minister, yesterday linked European approval of the Nord Stream 2 pipeline with the easing of the crisis, saying it would give a positive signal that would help to cool down the crisis. But experts said Russia already has plenty of capacity to get gas into Europe without opening the new route and was withholding supplies for some other reason, namely as leverage to get NS2 approval. Opening up the new pipeline would be a major victory for Putin, allowing him to bypass Polish and Ukrainian gas pipes, depriving both countries of large amounts of money, while increasing European dependence on Russian gas, handing him power and influence over the continent, and the US, of course, has long opposed approval for the pipeline for this reason. Um, okay, now this is um, heavy-duty stuff, isn't it, that's going on? Oh, yeah, I mean, Putin, um, I mean, we've had, our own, we've had our own gas, we've had our own electric, we've had our own petrol, we've had all this. And now we sold it all off, and now this is what you are. You, you, you're, you know, you're with a begging bowl to Putin to say, "Listen, can you send us some more gas?" You know, I, I just don't get it. Well, I Why remember we sold our, 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 you know, our crown jewels, really. I remember when uh, there was a G7 meeting and Cameron uh, insulted Putin and made him. Uh, he thought he made him look small. You know, he was talking about. Uh, the fact that Russia at that time had got a lot of rust in military uh, weaponry, that sort of thing. And I remember at the time saying on one of our podcasts, you watch, 
uh, Putin's going to go away, he's going to lick his wounds and he's going to come back and UK will be punished for that. Um, in the meantime, of course, David Cameron goes off, writes his book, takes his holidays down in Cornwall. And here we go with uh, what's going on now, which is utterly, utterly uh, predictable from that date for me um, and utterly and utterly avoidable. Um, I'm not very impressed with the way the government in the UK is handling most things at the moment. What about yourself? Well, I mean, that COVID has sent everybody, you know, you know, off scale, haven't they, and, and things. But everything seems to be coming all at once. All these, you know, bad news. I've never once turned telly on and watched a, 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 the programme that's had any good news in. It's either one bad thing and then it follows on again and follows on again. But as you say, Cameron, thinking, you know, expecting us not to do Brexit, even though he's were the one who had to, to, to put it through, the vote, you know, put it onto a vote, and then he goes upsetting everybody. You know what I mean? And as you say, now he's just a, like a backbencher, just getting all his money from all these books and all these, like, a bit like Blair and Brown, that, you know, they come on and do all these speeches, getting pocketfuls of money, you know. But yeah. there's, not been a, there's not been a day that I've put news on where there's been any good news. Well, I, I've thought for a long time... A lot of what seems to be going on is uh, Britain and people trying to make Britain weaker. And uh, I think for many different ways that they're trying. I do find it very, very strange. Here we are. The party conferences are on. Now, just as they're having the party, party conferences, you've got the uh, eco-warriors who are stopping the petrol. And then we have a, a supply of petrol problem. Um, it all seems to be very contrived to me. And it yeah. would appear to me that somebody's pulling the strings and maybe, just maybe, Putin, um, we know the Chinese are up to mischief, they have been for a long time, uh, maybe Putin is also behind this, uh, probably is, looking at the headlines today. That, that wouldn't surprise me, you know. The, we've always had, you know, like the Corbynites and this, that and the other. The, you know, he's, he's gone away, with, you know, with a slap face. With, with, uh, the, the European Union... If they can do anything to, to cause trouble in the UK, they will do. But you knew you were going to get this until it all settles down. It'll take two or three years, you know, before everything just settles down. But while, while somebody's hitting the UK, they're all jumping on bandwagon. Well, I, I mean, look, I think anybody who has lived through the time that you and I lived in the UK can see a huge difference between the attitude of people in the UK as of now and the attitude of the people who basically you only had to shake a poppy tin and we'd all be making sure that uh, any loose change we'd give to the poppy fund. Uh, we'd always thank the old soldiers. We'd always feel grateful for what we had. And almost now yeah. it's as if nobody's grateful for any of the sacrifices that have been made. Exactly. It's, uh, they don't want to know any history. They haven't got a clue, you know, these, these youngers, they haven't got a clue. The same thing with, you know, you're talking like even 30-year-olds, you know, girls, who can't cook a Sunday, Sunday dinner because everything's all fast food and this, that and the other. So the, the world is, is just dreadful. Me and you still wear our poppy with pride. Yeah. For the people that the sacrifices, that, that made the sacrifices so the life we could live. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's an absolute disgrace. Well, I mean, we call it the United Kingdom. Now, when I lived in uh, England, uh, down in Cornwall, back in Merseyside, I mean, really, the UK was a little bit of an add-on. And then suddenly, somewhere around about the year 2000, suddenly it's all UK, all United Kingdom. And yeah. basically, you know, when you go to uh, the customs, you, you, you know, they ask you if you're British. Well, sorry, British means you're four things. So for me, yeah. I think for a long time, England has been under attack. When all said yeah. and done, you know, when you've got nearly 70 million people as one country and then suddenly uh, you've got Wales with about 4 million and um, Scotland with about 5 million being treated as if it's totally equal. It isn't equal. And this will be where I'm going to go from a second thing that I'm going to ask you about. Because I'm reading now, Nicola Sturgeon has been accused of making distasteful suggestions that the death of older Scots who backed the union 
could help deliver independence. The First Minister's remarks were branding chilling yesterday after she was um, she got time on my side, she said, because of the demographics of support for Scotland breaking away from the UK. She also said uh, the coronavirus pandemic is likely to have uh, receded sufficiently by early spring to allow uh, her to make concrete decisions about the timing of an independence referendum. The comments about demographics reflect similar remarks made last year by Angus Robertson, now the SNP's Constitution Secretary, when he said 55,000 predominantly independent supporting 16-year-olds join the electorate every year, while 55,000 predominantly no-supporting older voters pass away. Um, they've got the, the, the statistics right, but what they haven't got right is uh, that they have made it abundantly clear of basically how they are politically agitating and couldn't really care less about it, the the European sorry the United Kingdom. Um, you know, you think that the Scots owed nothing to the English and vice versa um, at times when you can uh, see that all their parliamentarians can come down mob-handed and outvote the English MPs in their own parliament. It's nonsense, isn't it? Correct. And I'm English. You know, when people say to me, uh, uh, you know, you're British. No, I'm English. I'm an Englishman, you know, born in Manchester. Right? But Sturgeon will never let this go. This, the, you know, this referendum. She got, she got red faced last time. Right? You know, they, oh, they, they had the same numbers last time as they'll have next time. We give Scotland more money than any of the others. We, you know, they, they have free prescriptions and all this, that and the other. But it's just that paying for it, you know. I, I don't yeah. understand, uh, because whenever I'm talking to most uh, of uh, the, the, the older Scottish people, I think this is probably where her comments uh, are coming from. Yeah, come from, yeah. You yeah. know, the, the older Scottish people, I think they do understand that, uh, I think they've had a fair deal. It's only basically, uh, once you get into the colleges and start uh, putting the ideas into these young heads, unfortunately, um, y you can convince anybody of anything at the moment. I mean, basically, um, if you saw something that was white and painted it black, um, somebody would tell you it was black and uh you know it, it just goes on and on doesn't it yeah but it, that, that they've been taught that in scotland aren't they you know that we're the big bad wolf and we'd be better they'd be better off on their own and this that and the other well well you know we'll see you can't she can't join the eu you know because it takes years and years to try and do that so well what they're going to do keep using the phone well that's that's not an option neither well, she, so, must, she must be uh, blinded to the fact that uh, the Russians could invade Scotland at a second's notice. Um, exactly, yeah. You know, um, I just don't understand how she's managed to stay in power as long as she has. Go to the next point then, which is the NHS Trust in England. Now, apparently they're gaslighting patients over the inclusion of transgender people on single-sex wards with official documents comparing those who question the official policies to racists. This is according to a whistleblower nurse. Uh, now, the comments further down, Dr. Sinead Helliar, who's a doctor and clinical research nurse at King's College Hospital, claims that official NHS documents label patients who ask to be put in a single-sex ward as transphobes, offenders and perpetrators. She also highlighted her concerns about the treatment of women patients on single-sex female wards and said that NHS policies prioritised male transgender patients in the very spaces set out for women. Now, I can see where she's coming from with this one and, it, you know, this is really getting to a very, um, a very dangerous area. And she was speaking to a panel organised by parliamentary campaign groups children and women uh, this was at the conservative party um, children and women first and uh, she said i speak in a personal capacity only as a nurse to highlight concerns where nhs policy has been formulated and enacted to the detriment of women dr sinead hellier highlighted those concerns about the treatment of women patients and um, uh, there was a one of these um 
comments that I've picked up, which was from Nottingham. This is why I get infuriated when Johnson says people won't mind tax rises to help the NHS. Well, I bloody well mind, I can tell you, especially when I read articles like this one. The NHS should exist for one reason, and that is to treat the sick and the dying. They should not be getting into woke nonsense. The NHS got along fine for decades with two types of adult wards, one for men and one for women. It's really that simple. The NHS is the most wasteful, badly run organisation in the country, and it needs overhauling from top to bottom. Tens of millions could be saved just by scrapping the pointless levels of management uh, for a start. Now, um, I don't know about you, but there must be a lot of people who really don't want to be on, for example, a lady doesn't want to be on a mixed ward, period. Um, And then, basically, it must be ten times worse if then you've got some transgender person who basically makes it more uncomfortable than that i don't know really where where where, where it's all going um because i was quite happy with a, a male and a female um yeah. you know it's all but, being manufactured isn't it correct if you were born a man you're a man you go with men's ward if you were born a woman you go with women's ward all these this this transgender thing i mean it, it's ridiculous. It's the same if you take if you take the same thing into sport. How can a man who wants to be transgender or uh, gender fluid or whatever they call it is is going into a weightlifting competition as a woman? Hang on a minute. It, it just doesn't work like that. So I don't know where they're coming from, and I don't know what what's happening with it. It's just. Well, I've got an idea and I'm going to bounce it off you because basically, you know, with what's going on everywhere, it's very difficult to know um, whether or not you're losing your marbles or whether or not maybe there is still something in what I believe. Um, I I tell people incessantly that when I went back to college, you know, I was a lot older, I'd worked uh, all my life and then I went back and I had the... The, the, um, the privilege of being able to read books in a library. The first thing I did, because of the way we'd all been brought up, I went and read the Communist Party Manifesto. And basically, um, it was being said even then that the way to beat um, capitalism was to defeat the family. Well, yeah. I think this is what it's all about. I think the whole thing is about defeating the family. And I think that there's numbers of people who basically might not be communist per se but i would imagine they've been to places where communist agitators know how to get people going and how to change their thoughts on things and i think that's what's been going on i i, I agree with that i agree with that, that, that there's a lot of people you know here there and everywhere all over uk that are putting these you know these seeds they just putting the seeds in and then all of a sudden but if you do this that's what you'll be able to get that and this it's like the when they say there's like four million people on the door. Well, hang on, there's over two million jobs going there. So then they keep going in, you know. But then hang on, but I'm a I'm a transgender. Uh, I can't do that because I were a man, but now I want to be a woman. Or I'm a woman, and I, I think I should be in a. You know what I mean? It's, I don't know where it's coming from. The world's absolutely going upside down. Well, I'm afraid I just don't understand. As we go to our next one, which is a serial sex offender. Now, this guy has had his deportation from the UK halted by a judge because he said the the Home Office should have asked him how he felt about his offending. This is a South African national, uh, Philly Nagema. And he's been, he's 29-year-old, by the way, he's been convicted of four indecent exposures, failing to obey community orders, and has been subject of a sex offender's notice for 15 years. During his most recent crime in 2018, he overtook his victim as she was walking through a park before waiting for her, staring at her as he exposed himself and carried out a sex act. She told police he was looking at her straight in the eye and that she thought he wanted her to see what he was doing. But the Bristol-based offender won his appeal against a tribunal ruling which decided he should not be allowed to stay in the country. Despite the seriousness of his crimes, Upper Tribunal Judge Declan O'Callaghan said the Home Office 
referred to as the respondent in his judgment, had not cross-examined Nagema about the proceedings and his views on his crimes. He told the Immigration and Asylum Chamber at Fieldhouse London that it meant the judge at that original hearing made an error in law by concluding he was a persistent offender and went on to say unusually the respondent decided not to cross-examine either the appellant or his witness before the first tier tribunal um that, that's another thing that's another thing that's going up the wall these judges they, they don't live in the same world as we live in surely because uh, it's, it's ridiculous i mean it's like that that policeman who killed that sarah Everard, right He'd been done for flashing three times, and yet nobody in, in uh, Met knew anything about it, or did they? And they just let him carry on, and then he ends up killing a woman. You know, the, these you, you've got to put the, you've got to put the full force of the law onto him straight away. And if he were guilty of all them things, and they can deport him, then you deport him. No, no, they just keep playing around with, with, with silly little, you know, oh, you must sign the sex offenders register. They don't bother. They just go wandering off somewhere else, change the name, and carry on exactly what they're doing. Again, it's an absolute disgrace. The law is an absolute ass. Well, again, you see, I, I, I'm now convinced, because we've been doing this for a long time, you and I and Terry and other people that have come on the panel, we've been doing this for a long time, and many times you and I came to the decision that some of these judges have got to have really been in on some sort of a plan to make the law absolutely um, an ass. And, yeah. you know, quite frankly, um, it's like if you look at all the little bits of the system at the moment, which is being, they're all being dismantled in very secretive ways. You know, it all started with things like the Black Lives Matter and, and then, you know, the, the woke statues and all that sort of stuff. Uh, yeah. Have a go at the Queen, whether or not, you know, uh, it's other members of the family. It's really having a go at the Queen and what the establishment stands for. It's undermining the state and making um the state weak really i think it's i think we're seeing a whole raft of things and that's what i think it's all about quite frankly well no nobody you know a lot of the all these younguns now you know they've got they've got no respect for authority or laws or rules you know it's an absolute joke if it's like if somebody's coming over in a dinghy Right, and they get illegal immigrants, not immigrants, they're illegal immigrants, take them off the boat, fill the plane up, and take them back. You know, unless you start coming down hard on it, you just keep getting more and more and more. And as you say, the, the law is just a complete ass. Well, I think there's, there's a little bit more to this, you know, because on all the government websites, certainly for Spain and certainly for the UK, um, I'm not checking all of the others, but I do know they're all on the other websites as well, the government websites. It's called the Great Agenda 20, uh, 2050, I think the, the, the most recent one is. And basically, there are, they are telling you that they're doing these types of things. So who they are, of course, it comes from all these different committees. And what are they up to? And they are up to mischief. There's no two ways about it. I'm going to go to another one, which is right up your street, because it's to do with technology. And <laughs> yeah, right, OK. I'm, I'm well genned up on that, Vince. Me, well genned. Well, you like this one. Uh, <laughs> this was a jealous management consultant who posted naked photos of her former partner online and hijacked his Alexa to scare off his new lover. Uh, now, spurred jail. OK, let's find out a bit more about it. Philip, uh, Philippa Copleston Warren. Sounds like she needs a couple of bob. 46. Told the sobbing girlfriend to leave her ex-boyfriend's Lincolnshire home through the voice control device and flashed his house lights on and off. She also accessed his Facebook account from more than 100 miles. Naked photos of him online that spread as far as Pakistan, leaving him feeling violated, a London court was told. The victim also told of how his reputation which he had spent 30 years building was destroyed in a matter of minutes following the leak. A judge, now the word they're using, reprimanded. 
So yeah. a judge reprimanded Copleston Warren's actions as nasty, mean and destructive after she admitted to the disclosure of a private sexual photograph with intent to cause uh, stress. She was handed, here we go, a three-month jail sentence, suspended for 12 months and given a seven-year restraining order against the victim. Um, I mean, it just goes on, doesn't it? The victim impact statement was read to the court the man said he felt completely violated over the act which had significant impact on my physical and mental health he said he felt completely violated after the nude photo went viral and reached contacts and family members as far as pakistan and um since he's been suffering recurring heart palpitations <sighs> if, if, if that would have been a male doing it to a female he would have got prison. He might have only been 28 days or whatever, but it would have been, it would have sent out the message that don't do it. Do you know what I mean? I mean, I don't know how anybody's going to act me or get at me. I'm, I'm lucky. I'm just about can use my phone. Never mind this uh, Alexa. I mean, people say, hey, Alexa, do this. I mean, who's this Alexa? I've never, I've never heard of her. You know what I mean? <laughs> Technology and me is, it, it might as well be on moon as far as I know. Well, it's quite funny um, because I I was working on my phone the other day and something came across my line of vision and stopped me working. So a bit naughty, but I yelled out uh, and you can imagine what, you know, I sort of said, go away, only a bit stronger. So the next minute, this Alexa thing or whatever the Google equivalent is says, oh, have I upset you? Do me a (laughs) favour. I mean, when all said and done, if people can't see that all these things like Alexa living in your living room, watching everything you do, can talk and respond to you just like that, we're being watched left, right and centre. You can see it. you've got to be, haven't you? You've got to be. You know, these electronic... I mean, at one time, they call that spying. You know, and you'd get get 20 years for spying, wouldn't you? But, But now, you buy it, and you're letting them spy on yourself, aren't they? You know what I mean? I don't get it. I just don't get it. Well, the papers really are so depressing because it's hard to find a really good story. Uh, for example, um, another one I, I, I looked at, a wealthy socialite caught drink driving following a night out said she thought she had sobered up after making a 30-minute train journey to collect a car. Kay Holcroft. Now, she's 24, been drinking white wine in a restaurant when she believed it was safe to get behind the wheel of her white BMW uh, after getting the train back from Manchester to Cheshire. She was spotted swerving round the road as she tried to make her way back to the family's 1.2 million home in the leafy village of Prestbury. The socialite claimed any driving ban would have a massive impact on her as she would be required to take public transport to work. Yeah, which she did from the pub to the train station <laughs> to the car. Uh, hang on a minute, love. Do me a favour. The rules are you get caught drink driving, you take your licence off you. Simple as that, buddy, from Presbury and it's posh up there, man. It's all footballers place. They're full of wags and all that. Yeah. Because I know, you know, from being from Manchester and Cheshire, but, uh, I mean... You're going to tell me in a minute she got off with it. Please, don't tell me that. No, thankfully, uh, this one, um, she posted glamorous pictures of herself on Instagram, sitting inside the trendy restaurant and cocktail bar with the caption, Hello weekend, it's been a while. Uh, Grammar school educated. I mean, some of these things they write in the papers that really don't really help the matter. An accounts assistant for a fashion chain was disqualified from driving for 15 months at Stockport Magistrates Court after she admitted to drink driving. Um, Holcroft, whose millionaire parents run company supplying equipment for forklift trucks, was also fined £200 in order to pay £119 in costs and surcharges. Now, I might be... Hang on, £200? If it had been your sort like me and you... We'd have got something like five, six hundred pounds. But you've got multi-millionaires getting fined the equivalent of a penny for us, right? Getting away with, with, you know, we know it's like a slap on wrist. All right, 15 months, yes, you should serve every day of it as well. 
I do, I do get the impression that you can read the different uh, cases that we've just been looking at and you could almost certainly say, well, that's a Tory voting judge. This is a Labour likely uh, judge. Um, you know, you can actually see, almost see the politics uh, behind the decisions and... Um, I mean, we said a long time ago, I remember we were talking about why don't they build more prisons on all the islands all around Great Britain? Put them, yeah. those, those that can't behave, those, those that don't want to keep the law, those that want to um, basically live away from the law, put them all in these prisons and let everybody else get on with their life. That's what I would and, think. Uh, yeah, I'm a, I agree with that entirely. And the other one is, as when they are naughty boys or girls, yeah. Never mind us feeding them, giving them Wi-Fi, giving them televisions. Well, no, no. If, if you need feeding, your family should come and feed you. You know what I mean? Yeah. But other than that, it's like you're going on holiday. I mean, this like uh, it's just well, we're, we're talking about it now. Like the selection, they probably them they probably all got that in the in the cells. <laughs> you know, they can go into gym, they can watch TV, they can smuggle drugs and mobile phones in, and this, that, and the other. Hang on a minute, what's going on here? Well, I it's think it's... a punishment, not, not an holiday camp. I, I think now, now that we're seeing more of the picture and, and we're talking about it, I think you can virtually see that this is part of the plot as well. You know, undermine the prisons, undermine uh, the sentencing, undermine normal people who don't break the law, seeing these type of decisions, and um, sooner or later, everybody will feel like they don't want to care, you know. Yeah, and that's, and that's, how, it, that's how it's getting, because when you see it, you know, you go, I, I don't believe that. That can't be. No. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I mean... Life, if you took somebody's life, you were put away for life. Now they say life with a minimum of 10 years. Hang, uh, when did a life only last 10 years? Yeah, it, it's all wrong. It's a nonsense. It's all wrong. Neil, I'm going to have to leave it there. And okay, um, once again, great to talk to you. And look and forward you. to getting your thoughts next week. I'll have, I'll have a few more topics for you for next week. Try and put one good one in if you can find it. I, I know it's going to be hard for you to find it, but if you can put one good one in, we can have a laugh about it, can't we? Just about time for me to have a look at some of the headlines in the newspapers as I am preparing to get this all prepared and come onto the internet. And stunned holidaymakers say they've been branded racist by staff after complaining about Afghan child refugees running riot at Scarborough's historic Grand Hotel. Now, if anybody's been involved in anything to do with tourism and entertainment and hotels, um, I think that will probably be a very valid comment. Although, I'm very, very surprised that they should be accusing people of being a racist. Uh, let's be honest about it. Um, children can be a pain in the backside no matter which country they come from. Um, also reading tonight, Poland is on the path to pole exit. Supreme Court ruling that the EU treaties are incompatible with the Constitution. So it's taken a while, but we have been... Uh, saying Terry in particular was saying he felt that other countries would break away and uh, so on and so forth anything to make everybody feel as happy as possible um, unfortunately is it really going to be well enough for the man who could save Christmas according to another headline Boris Johnson's appointing the ex-Tesco boss uh, drastic Dave Lewis as the supply chain uh, saw to clear blockages days after insisting there is no problem. Well, I think that clearly shows you there is a problem. That's just about it for this week, I think. Okay, so as we say goodbye, the eco-warriors are still getting away with disrupting just about anybody and everything. Uh, to be honest with you, there's a quick answer, isn't there? Just get the police in and um, get the names and addresses and obviously some of them will be organising it. 
let's get it finished. My thanks to Neil Colborne and to Terry Whitehead. Stay safe, stay happy, and uh, we'll keep looking out these things that you might be missing in the newspapers. This has been Europe Calling. <laughs>